0: Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. You hold on to promises. We all have promises in God. We all have things that we feel like he said to us and now we feel like it's our responsibility to hold on to them tightly. But how do you hold on to promises whilst also knowing when to let go of them? Maybe you're a student or you're an ex-student and God gave you a promise about your school, but then you graduated and it's best that you don't turn up in February of the next year saying, he gave me a promise, I can't leave until every teacher's saved. That some things, there's this tension of knowing that you have to play your part, but your part isn't all of the parts. How do you find strength to hold on to the promises of God when storms happen? When darkness seems to increase, when the promised land seems to get further away, how do you muster the courage and the strength to hold on to what he said, even though it seems like I'm not sure if it's going to happen? And how much of your day should be focused on tomorrow and those promises, those things? And how much should just be focused on what he's doing now? That we wouldn't be so eager for the promised land but rather be content with the fact that we already have the promise keeper close to us. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you hold on to what is like coming, but also like hold on to him in the moment? And how do you let go? Like, how do you be like, okay, this was something that I felt like God was going to, but this is, I've got to let go of this. I've got to actually trust him to bring this about without me being the center point or it all being about me. What happens when it's time to let go of a dream, to move on from something, to mourn it, to grieve it, but to know that there is something else for you to move into? And how do you move into that something else without the smoke, the smell of smoke from your last experience? Or how do you move on without that discouragement or that shame or that He said he was going to do it, but I don't think he really did it the way that I thought he was going to do it. And I can try and reframe it. But the truth is, like, I kind of felt like he said he was going to do it. And how do I let go of that? Whilst still being willing to be like, okay, the next time he promises me something, how do I believe that with the same strength that I had last time? How do I I let go and trust? Like, how do I wrestle out my promises that are... How do you walk away from something that felt like a promise? And are we meant to build our lives on promises at all? Should we be like searching scriptures for like anything that God said, if you do this, I will do this. And then you like wake up in the morning and you recite them 10 times in the mirror and like, like that's enough. And then when something goes wrong, you're like, no, 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 no but God, you promised, you promised, you promised, promise, you promise keeper, you promised. Are we supposed to live our life solely based on that? Is it a good foundation? Is it a foundation that will prove to give us success? Will it get us into the promised land if we say it enough times or believe that it's going to happen or trust that God will do it? Are we supposed to build our lives on those things? What is the purpose of those promises? Is it to keep us on track, to stay faithful, to to dangle a carrot in front of the donkey's face like is it to keep us moving on a path that he has for us is that why he says he's going to do some things and is that the purpose of them and then do we build our lives on them like what and and what's the difference between who God is and what he says and is there a difference or does everything that God says say something about his character and then there's no no separating them and he's a promise keeper because he is faithful and he can't be unfaithful but what happens when he says he's going to do something to Nineveh but then he doesn't what happens when he says to sacrifice your son but then he stops you from doing the very thing that he asked you to do what happens when he gives you a promise and then tells you to sacrifice what what is this tension and how do we build our lives on him rather than promises he has given us how do we build our life on the healer not the healing the saviour, not the salvation. How do we be okay with being a hero of the faith yet not seeing what he promised? Because our Bible lists for us heroes of the faith and many of which, potentially all of which, did not receive what was promised. Does that mean he is unfaithful? How does he be a promise keeper, give us a promise, yet our heroes of the faith only get what is promised to them by their stories uniting with a bigger story and us partnering with our stories and then God doing what he actually promised not what everyone thought he promised them individually and what is the difference between something promised and us just hoping for something because was your health promised or are you hoping that no amount of chicken and cheeseburgers or zinger boxes will stop the promise that he was going to give you health (laughs) and how do you know that you're hoping that your school would be saved in the next 12 months or he promised it and is there a place is there a godly good place for us to hope without putting the ownership on him doing everything and us sitting back waiting for our amazon delivery of what he promised and what if he didn't promise it at all and we're sitting there cruising waiting for our delivery to come but no order was made no payment was exchanged and no one's going to knock on your door and give you that promise because he never said it like that and when do you know the difference between your emotions and his voice because who amongst us doesn't want every single person in our family to be saved and transformed who amongst us doesn't want every addiction to break and every shackle to break and every chain to be open but the truth is one two someone just died one two someone just died and are they all free does God what's the difference And how do we live in these tensions without just saying ridiculous things, like Isaiah 55 says, His ways are higher than my ways, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Therefore, ignorance is bliss and I'm blind and I'll just trust that God will do it. Is that what he wants us to do? He wants us to be 10 foot away from truth or knowledge of him? He wants us to live a blindness? Is that what faith is? Is that why he gives us promises? So that we would be okay with not knowing and that's just our portion in life he's God, we're not God, we just have to trust and he will work it all out. Hmm. And how do you do the right thing for the right reason? How do you do the right thing, not so that you get the promise, but because it's just the right thing to do? How do you walk out your salvation with fear and trembling? Not because you're going to get something from him. What's the difference between Father God and a sugar daddy? And if we hold on to promises alone, when the promise isn't kept, does that mean we get to like have, a, have a tantrum? Have a panny, which is a, a panic attack. It's just lowering the clinicalness of it. So how do you live a righteous life without expecting, if I live a righteous life, then I get this. This is the trade. I'm faithful, you're faithful. I trust you, you make my path straight. I do this, you do this, God. It is a contract of two equal parties and I'm not going to do my part if you don't do your part. How do you do the right thing for the right reason? That it is the right thing to do to trust. It is the right thing to do to persevere. It is the right thing to hold on the hope, to rejoice with those things that we should rejoice in, to be frustrated with those things that are not, that are evil, to hope, to stay faithful, how to do that right thing without demanding that God does everything else. And if he doesn't meet our agreed on agreement, then we check out, we give up, we walk away. Is doing the right thing for a reward the right way to live? This morning, um, I want to help us maybe to think about the things that we hold on to as promises. And we all probably have things in this room. Some of us will be in this room holding on to the promise of a salvation of a family member or a friend. Maybe uh, you're holding on for a better job or a career that when you wake up in the morning you want to go to. You hold on to. He said it. He must do it now. Maybe we hold on to promises that is a prodigal son returning back to him. Maybe you hold on to promises of restoration or, or getting into uni or passing that test. Or maybe you hold on to That partner that you feel like he's promised you, but you find yourself one more birthday single. Or maybe it's a promise of a child, but you're met with more tragedy. And we all have these promises and we all have this tension to live in of the things that we hope for or the things that we feel like he promised us, yet the day is what it is. And do we just deny it? Do we pretend that there isn't a reality in front of us? Do we pretend there isn't a storm for him to calm or a sickness for him to heal? Is that what faith is? Like, is that how we live? Like a little bit delusional through everything in front of us because we're from somewhere else. But if that somewhere else doesn't invade my every thought and change the way that I live my life, is that somewhere else, somewhere I'm even supposed to live as a Jesus follower? or is heaven supposed to invade earth is there supposed to be an exchange is there supposed to be how do i hold on to this promise how do i believe for freedom from addiction or freedom from depression or free how do i we all have these promises but the question is how do we live in this tension between who we are today and what we hope for for tomorrow If you look up promised scriptures, you're probably not going to go very far until you find this one on our screen. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 reads, Trust in the Lord with your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Who wants a straight path? And, and then we have this truth and we grab a whole bunch of proverbs and we're like, this is a promise from God. I trust in Him with all of my heart. I don't lean on my own understanding. I acknowledge Him in all my ways and He will, not He might or He could or He should, He will make my path straight. I, I don't know about you. I want promises like that, <laughs> right? And I, I want Jeremiah telling me like his." his his plans are to prosper me and to give me a hope and a future. I want to ignore what Jeremiah was actually saying and who he was writing to and what they were experiencing. And I want to grab it from me and be like, yeah, he's going to prosper, prosper, prosper. I don't want to talk about the, the exile. Or... So what is a promise? How do we have this type of trust? Holy Spirit, we asked this morning, that you would help us to be people that trust you deeply. And I pray this morning that there would be a cut-through of truth in the midst of this tension that I have just created in the room. I pray, God, that you would help us not just to see you from a distance, but we would have little space between us and our big God. I declare it again over our 2024, that we would have little space between us and our big God. Would you draw us close to your heart close to your ways close to your thoughts and would we have little space between us and our big god in jesus name we pray amen Amen. the third of the third 1882 in italy we had a man born named charles ponzi Now, you might be in this room, and you might have heard this last name before, Ponzi, or you might have heard of a thing called a Ponzi scheme. And this is a quote from Charles Ponzi, "It is I landed in this country, speaking of America, with $2.50 in cash and $1 million in hopes, and those hopes never left me. Charles Ponzi is uh, famous or infamous for the creation of the Ponzi scheme. A Ponzi scheme, or the one that he founded, is he exchanged international stamps at a low price for a high price. And what he did is he promised his investors that he would give them 100% profit of their investment within 90 days. Delicious. Like if anyone doesn't want to double their money in 90 days, they're not into cryptos or some other promise of amazing returns. And what Charles Ponzi did, and what a Ponzi scheme is, is it's, it is this huge offer of return, but the way that those returns are given is, let's say that someone invested with me $1,000. The way that I give them their $1,000 return is I convince someone else to give me $1,000, and I take their, the new investor's $1,000 and give it to my old investor. I don't make any money. I don't really do anything at all. All I do is get a new person to give me money, and I pretend that it is the profit that I give an old person. So the more people that I get on board, the more it appears that I'm able to deliver these amazing things. And Charles Ponzi, uh, in one year, got 20 million US dollars invested in his Ponzi scheme with zero profits. And to give it context, today's $20 million is about $220 million Charles Ponzi got invested in his scheme. And it's interesting, this amazing quote from him, right? Like, I landed in this country with $2.50 and a million dollars worth of hopes, and those hopes have never left me what a amazing promise right like i'll double your money we have scriptures that we quote much more than double that if we give to god that man we're going to get some returns and we can quote malachi bring into the storehouse we ignore that malachi also promises a curse on anyone that doesn't tithe and, and if we look at that in our world is there a financial curse on anyone that doesn't tithe and is there something more to that but there's these promises that we can give each other or we can live but I don't think God gives those types of empty promises. But I also don't think we get to say, you promised something, God, when he might not have. So it's important for us to work out what is something that is our responsibility in walking out our salvation with fear and trembling, and what can we bank on sitting back, placing our order, and waiting for the delivery? And knowing the difference between those two things. Because I don't want to live a life where I think that there is something promised that is astronomical, that isn't true, and that I was actually supposed to play a part in getting to the promised land. Maybe I had to move my feet, maybe I had to believe, maybe I had to do something. I want to make sure that I'm playing my part in doing the right thing. And the message is entitled this morning, simply, The Next Right Thing. How do we, as Jesus followers, do the next right thing? If, you're all, if you always do the next thing right, uh, sorry, if you always do the next thing that needs to be done, you will go most safely and sure-footedly along the path prescribed. Because the truth is, church, we rarely see the big picture, but we rarely don't know the next right thing. students you might not know the big picture of school but you know the next right thing you might not know the big picture of what god is going to do with your life but you know when that offer is given that is under the table you know when that addiction to to fix the pain temporarily you know the next right thing to do And how do we know that the next right thing is actually super important if we are ever to enter the promises of God? And this morning, I hope to encourage and empower us to know, just like last Sunday, we need to leave things behind and live what this living is actually like. And how to live great big lives with God, great big lives of faith, of impossibility, of heaven invading earth without sitting back again. Last week we talked about blaming others for where we are. Today we address the issue of blaming God for us not getting our promises yet. Because we rarely understand that big picture, but the truth is we rarely don't know the next right thing to do. So, the why of this morning of why the next right thing is important is simple and it's on our screen. Waiting patiently is not passive. And we're going to look at a scripture in a moment about someone that is a hero of the faith who waited patiently, but his waited patiently doesn't look like maybe we think waiting patiently looks. And a life of faith is not a life sitting down and waiting for your delivery. That a life of a Jesus follower is much, much more involved. There is much, much more transformation that needs to occur. And perhaps the reason why we have not entered the promise is not his inability to do it. It's our inability to let him do it in us first. So, let's look at a scripture and then be confused by it, hey? Hebrews 6, verse 12 to 15. Hebrews was famously written by Priscilla or Paul. But you say Paul, I say Priscilla because I just feel like the girls need to be the author of something in the New Testament. (laughs) Hebrews 6, verse 12 to 15 uh, reads like this in the NIV. We do not want to become lazy, don't we? No, we don't but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherited what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, do we remember the promise to Abraham? Descendants, right? Like great big family. He was an old guy, right? His wife was even older, but she was beautiful. We'll get into that in a moment. Since there was no one greater for him to swear by he swore by himself saying i will surely bless you and give you many descendants and we have a verse here that i find difficult to swallow and so after waiting patiently abraham received what was promised abraham waited patiently Abraham waited patiently? Did he? Like, no offence, Priscilla, but the way that I read this story, um, Genesis 16, verse 1 says, now Sarah, spelt wrong, but, you know, it is what it is. Abram's wife, or Abraham's wife, was born, had borne him no children, But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. What a beautiful name. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave, Hagar. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed. To what Sarah said, So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Abraham waited patiently. There's a quote... um, from one of the richest men in the world and the quote is um, you can't you can't have a baby by getting nine you can't have a baby in a month by getting nine women pregnant like you can't speed up the process by some some trick around do you have to patiently wait for the birth of a child you have to Patiently wait for a promise to be given, but Abraham waited patiently. Was it the, like the ten years? Was that was that was that it? What is waiting patiently? Because if waiting patiently is don't do anything until like Sarah gets pregnant, Abraham did not wait patiently. Hello, there was a baby. It was like. And you can say, like, oh, no, that was Sarah. But you can do the same. Oh, that was Eve. Abraham, uh, Adam had nothing to do with it. Like, yeah, okay. Okay. Sure. Sorry. No, no, no. Abraham, what, Abraham was patiently like Sarah was impatient? Like, Sarah, Sarah didn't really, like, believe the promise. But did Abraham always, like, you know, taking on his next wife? And I've got mixed feelings about Abraham, to be honest, like the child sacrifice stuff, mixed feelings. The fact that his wife is so beautiful that when he goes to Egypt, he says, this isn't my wife, this is my sister, in case someone murders him to be with his wife. How beautiful is Sarah, by the way? Like, she's so beautiful. He's going around like, nah, that's my sister. Please don't kill me to make her your wife. And it's not to protect her, right? Because that's my sister? What, now... Have at it, like, don't kill me, like, what? I've got some issues with Abraham, to be honest, and I'm allowed to have a couple of them, right? Maybe you're like, a are cool, like, I'm allowed to wrestle this out a little bit, and I'm allowed to know that I've got my own things, but I have never introduced my wife as my sister. <laughs> Actually, I think I might have a couple of times. As a joke, it was a joke, but I wasn't in fear of being murdered for her beauty. But she has introduced me as her brother in fear of being murdered for my... Okay. (laughs) So we read patience sometimes as as that sitting and waiting for a delivery. But if that's that's what it is, um, I don't know. And some of the Hebrew words and Greek words for patience give us this imagery of abiding and waiting, like this long suffering, like this. But I want to give you some imagery that might help you actually understand uh, this, this word makroth umia, this Greek word a little bit better than I sit back and then God does it. Maybe instead of Reading in his patience is sitting there waiting for delivery. Some better analogies is a soldier fighting with everything, knowing that victory will happen. Or maybe a better imagery is a candle with a long wick. You burn and 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 you don't give up and you keep burning and you keep burning and you keep burning and you keep burning and you play your part in bringing light to the world around you. So it's a soldier with like a sword in their hand, fighting for a field that they value so much that they will give it everything that they have, knowing that they're on the winning team, knowing that the victory is sure, yet they want to play their part in the massacre. (laughs) They want to play their part in the great victory. They want to say to Goliath, I'm not a dog, you're a dog. We're going to change this story. I'm on, the God, I'm on the side of the God that is invincible in battle. They want to fight that way. It's someone not getting angry or blaming their circumstance. Instead, they are so busy being faithful. And this morning, I'm not going to unpack what I, why I think Abraham was faithful. What I do want to suggest to us is this. Faithfulness involves, patience involves, waiting involves great action. The patience is not sitting down and waiting for your delivery. It is searching for what is promised with all of your strength, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, to fully and completely lean in. Let me give you two hows this morning of how I think we can be people that do the next right thing. Are you with me this morning? The first thing is this. Leave blind faith for real faith. Leave blind faith for real faith. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 gives us this, uh, this imagery. Uh, we live by faith and not by sight. So we think that, uh, okay, live by faith and not by sight. So if, if I'm not living by sight, faith must be blind? Bit of, bit of logic? Hmm. If faith... Is blind if my whole goal is to just kind of trust that God is doing anything? Does he want a little bit more relationship than just like, oh yeah, 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 he's gonna do it? Does he want something a little bit deeper? Does he want people to actually really believe that it's gonna happen to be assured of what you hope for and certain of what we do not see? And is that just like a nod of the head, or does he want something much, much more involved? Because blind faith is, I trust that my delivery is coming, real faith is I trust that God is near and empowering me. Real faith results in my faithfulness. Real faith results in my faithfulness. Real faith results in my faithfulness. If I have faith for something, then I better do everything in my power to bring heaven to earth. That if I have faith for my family to be saved, then I better do everything in my power to point to King Jesus. If I have faith to my health to be good, I have to do everything in my power to get me there. Because blind faith isn't real faith. It is moving from seeing natural things to seeing supernatural things first. So James 2 verse 17 uh, says this. If you got your Bible, you're allowed to turn with me to there. 2 verse 17 uh, says this. In the same way, faith by itself, is not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And then it goes on to list one of these exploits of Abraham of putting actions to his Faith, blind faith says, "I don't really know anything." Like it's a trophy. We quote things like, uh, "His ways are higher than my ways; his thoughts are higher than my thoughts." Like Isaiah, right? I'll get it. Isaiah fifty-five, Isaiah fifty-five, uh, verse something, uh, 8. 55 verse eight. Uh, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Close the book; it's over. Any time that there's anything, there's a thought or a way that I don't understand, I just have to say, well, God's ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Oh, no. The Bible has some more verses about that. Verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish... So that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word. It comes out of my mouth and it will not return to me empty. It's not an invitation to say his thoughts are higher than my thoughts and his ways are higher than my ways. Ignorance is bliss. It's an invitation for his word to change you. That his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, therefore I want his thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways, so I want his ways. It's not God works in mysterious ways. It's if they're a mystery, I want to know the mystery. The pursuit of knowledge is not an ungodly pursuit. Blind faith is not a trophy. There is a difference between being childlike and being juvenile. That if something doesn't happen, you just quote Job and you're like, well, you know, where was I when the earth was formed? Pursuing. Knowledge and wisdom and his ways and his thoughts is how we help his word not return to him void. It's void if he said it and we're like, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, he'll do it. His thoughts and his ways, he'll do them. Void. Congratulations and participating with his word returning to him void. And he will search the earth for someone with faith, but it ain't you because he says it and you don't believe it enough to live it don't say amen too loud I'm talking about you and me (laughs) there's a quote about Pentecostals that we have the right spirit but the wrong scripture yeah we, we want God yeah yeah we want it but I don't know Isaiah 55, Jeremiah, Proverbs 3, verse 5. It's not a goal to just be a juvenile. What a beautiful thing for God to find someone that he can give wisdom and truth to. What a lovely thing for him to teach you principles, not just promises that you have no part in, but principles of you getting to do something and partner with it. Blind faith is not a great goal. Real faith is. The pursuit of knowledge is not a godless pursuit. It is not to take control. The pursuit of knowledge is to be transformed by the knowledge. Yeah. It is to hear and not be able to unhear. It's to see and not be able to unsee. The pursuit yeah. of knowing God and knowing his ways and knowing his thoughts is an admirable, godly command. Yeah. And to just say, you know, he will, he'll do it. We miss out on opportunity. The second thing of the how is to live a big life. John 10 verse 10, John 10 is all about a good shepherd, but it gives us this truth that the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy, but God has come to life and life abundantly. The good shepherd for us wants uh, abundant things for us. Our shepherd gave his life to open a door that we were unable to open. Our shepherd gave his life to bridge a a canyon that we were unable to get over. And that that does open possibilities for us that would not be possible without him. And those possibilities must be investigated. Those promised lands must be fought for. Those, those truths must be entered into, but they are not a small life or a little life or a life where you play a small part. You play a huge part in your story. Huge. Huge. Not little, not you're a powerless little thing. The words that you speak are a rudder and they will direct your life. The things that you choose to believe and keeping your head on higher things, not lower things, is hugely powerful. It is a God-given power to live abundant life, less stolen, less killed, less destroyed, choosing his ways and his thoughts above our own. Because, yes, he does turn foolish things to wise things, but we have some turning in said process. He makes beautiful things out of the dust, but the dust has to be involved. It can't fight him every step of the way. I think we should have little distance between us and our big God. On the screen is a little recap slide Proverbs 3. Those hopes never left Charles uh, Ponzi. That we need to be a church that knows how to do the next right thing, even if we don't know how it leads us to the promise. That we need to be a church that knows that patient waiting is not passive and we need to do something in our responsibility. Last week he he used, yeah, let's not blame someone else, but now let's not blame him. Let's play our part as we patiently wait. Let's do something. Let's move our feet. In Hebrews six and, and Genesis uh, sixteen gives us this. Do something. Don't sit down, and be a soldier that will fight, knowing that the battle is won. Not a soldier that sits down and says, "By God, when we win my battle, read the whole psalm." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, how do we do it? We live. How we leave blind faith to live in real faith. And we get involved in it. We get our hands dirty in it. We wrestle some things out. If his thought and his ways is not our thought or our ways, we let go of our thoughts and our ways. And not just say, I don't know, but he knows. I don't know. Show me. Reveal to me. Show me. Show me your plans and your purposes. Show me. And yes, they're lofty. And yes, I struggle to comprehend, but I will pursue you. And I will know you, God. I will not know you and do things at a distance from you and act like that's it. I will know you. I will be known by you. I will be close to you. Because yes, you're a big God. And yes, you could do it without me. But I'm going to get nice and close. There's going to be little distance. And when you speak, I will do and we will see great things. Then now the challenge is this, to do the right thing in the dark. Let's return to Proverbs 3, verse 5 this morning. Amazing promise scripture. Let's grab it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Well, I have one big question for you this morning. Have you ever met anyone with a straight path? Ever? Ever? Ever. Like, have you met someone with a... Look at... Look at Jesus. Some dumb fishermen. Teenagers. Oldest, Peter, 21. Most, 14, 15. Celebration youth represent. Those boys... Come on, those boys. Straight path? Pharisees, straight path for Jesus? The crucifixion. Straight path? Straight path. Has your path always been straight? Now proverbs are not promises. Proverbs are principles. Proverbs are not promises. Proverbs are principles. The reason why we know this is Proverbs 15 tells us that a soft answer will turn away wrath. And Jesus shows us a soft word results in a crucifixion. So did Jesus not believe Proverbs 15? Or is Proverbs principles when two parties come together and do the wise thing, it results in a wise outcome? Sometimes. Proverbs is instruction for us to live principles, not for us to sit back and trust that God is going to do everything. So is our path not straight? A, because we don't trust him with our whole heart. And has no one ever trusted him with our whole heart? Did Jesus not? Because we can say everyone else did, but you're saying Jesus didn't? Or are you saying that his path was straight, but it wasn't straight like we want straight? Well, straight, the original word in the Hebrew we get it in amplified, means straight and smooth. There's no loophole here. It's smooth, baby. It's a nice smooth road. It's no potholes, it's no, it's no twists and turns. Straight and smooth. If this is a promise, Jesus was promised a smooth, cruisy, straight Journey, and so are you, and so are me. And every time anything goes wrong, we stand before God and we say, You promised a straight path. Shut the mouth of that annoying person at my work. Shut that bill that I signed. Shut that credit card statement that is making me pay that thing. You promised me a straight path. No, it's a principle. It's I'm going to choose to trust God with all of my heart and all of my mind and all of my strength. That is the principle. Yeah. And if I kept that up completely, I just, I read Proverbs this week. They're filled with principles. They're filled with truths, But a whole bunch of them, if they're promises, Jesus didn't have enough faith. So I don't think they are. So the question for you this morning is, what are promises that God has given you and you should hold on to? But what are principles that you're supposed to do and change and live out? Because maybe good health is promised to those that will live inside of some principles. Maybe. And maybe salvation, is it a promise or is it a principle? Because you can't be promised good health but eat carcinogenics. You can't be promised provision but live beyond your means. You can't be promised a relationship and be creepy (laughs) and say God told you that you were my wife. (laughs) Did he though? Because he's told three guys that this week. Like, not me, not... I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a woman in this. So I'm a single woman. <laughs> Promise protection, but like text and drive. Ooh, someone's getting convicted. Someone's lost demerit points twice for this. Me. <laughs> Confess my sins. Promise presence, but do things that quench the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we have to question God's ability to provide promises, but I do think we need to call in a question, our ability to live by His principles. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very well. Here's a principle. Uh, Matthew 28. Make disciples. One, uh, most of the things that need to work out in your life will work out if you disciple someone. Right. It's a principle. It's a principle to be obedient to. Yeah, come on. <laughs> so, I disciple someone. Will it always produce a Billy Graham? Like, is that what you promised? No, it won't. Will they hurt you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Will it be hard sometimes to have enough margin to give someone else? Yeah, yeah. Is there a principle you should live by? Yeah. the next right thing yeah. this is the next right thing if he says um, this is my spot in the play of my life and these are my lines this is where I stand and this is what happens I will play my part even when the spotlight is on him. That I'll do the right thing in the dark. That I'll work on things that no one sees in the hidden place. When no one hears, when no one's watching, I'll do the right thing, not so that one day I'll be in the limelight, but because it's the right thing to do. I won't disciple so that my connect group grows. I'll disciple because to take care of his sheep is the right thing to do. And if I am to love him, I have to do it. It's a principle of my life to to take care of the lambs and the sheep. Can I land this emotionally for you this morning? Even if he doesn't do it, I'll still play my part. Even if I die in the furnace, I'll still play my part. Even if the storm doesn't calm, even if he doesn't, I'll play my small small part in the great picture of God and humanity. Even if everything doesn't work out in my favor, even if I'm promised something but I don't get to see it all, I'll play with my hands, I'll read my lines, I'll stand in my spot assigned to me. I'll allow him to be in the spotlight. I will play my role even in the dark that's what real faith does yeah. deep down under the surface it's trusting that god will do his part but being preoccupied with playing my part that if anything offends anything in me offends him god would you address it would you bring it to the surface holy spirit may we be a church that has big faith and big trust in you yeah. may we be so close to you may there be such little space that our big god could do something impossible on the inside of us may we live by principles that are higher may we know not just the right thing to do but may we do it may we live out lives that glorify you not just one day when goliath is killed when the storm the storm is calmed but every day pointing to a good god and god i pray for the heart of shepherds in our church yeah. that as we travel and we see pain Problems in our city, hurt, sin, dismay. May we fight. May we not wait for you to bring a revival. May we bring a revival. As we're revived through our inaction and laziness. As we're revived from our lack of faith. As we're revived from our addictions. As we're revived from our apathy and empathy. uh, Sorry, our apathy. May we be empathetic towards your vision for our city and our family may we be a church that sees great need and does the next right thing yes. church would just stand with you this morning as we close if you're with a significant other a family member or a friend why don't you chuck a hand on a shoulder or a hand on a hand let me pray for you this afternoon this morning this morning Holy Spirit, uh, walking with you is possible. We want to do it. We want to walk with you every step of the way. We don't want our life to just be one miracle to the next. We want our life to be the miracle of walking with you. That our life was written in your book. That you died for us before the foundation of the earth and that we, turning from our sin, get to walk with you every single day. It is a miracle that we're invited into this relationship with you and we want our day-to-day walking with you be a beautiful sacrifice to you. And God, would you give us courage and eyes to see the next right thing to do? Knowing that we might not even see the promise, but we played our part in making the promise possible. May we do the right thing for the right reason in the dark to glorify you. And I pray this week, leading up to Testimony Sunday next Sunday, would you help us to stop and to reflect and to celebrate loudly and testify to your hand being involved in our day-to-day. May we be more thankful than we've been before. May we celebrate the miraculous more than we ever have before. May 2024 be a year that we earn our name, Celebration Church. So be with us this week, protect, provide, walk with us and help us to play our part. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, Amen, church. May that be your 2024, little distance between you and the big God. May you have big dreams this year. May leading up to Vision Sunday, you have fresh hope for impossible stuff. Don't live small, take your part, run with it. In Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.